Sad day here at Getting Over and obviously in the entire world of professional wrestling. As we open today's show with the news that Scott Hall died Monday night, he was 63. Uh, Hall is literally one of the main reasons uh, why I love professional wrestling. He was you know, rising to prominence in WWF right when I started watching in the early 90s. And just looking at him, I mean, WWF said Razor Ramon oozed machismo, and that was the perfect description of this guy. Effortlessly cool. Anytime you saw him on or off TV, he was the coolest guy in the room, and it didn't matter who else was there with him. I cannot tell you how many times I've, mostly when I was a kid, of course, but even still now, flicked a toothpick the way he did, or done those spooky fingers, or thrown my arms out to the side to celebrate, or done the razor's edge into a pool with friends, like put them on my back and done the razor's edge. It was like my number one move. Uh, when I was a kid, I had the gold chain with the razor. It was the very first piece of WWF merchandise my mom ever bought me. Not a t-shirt, none of that stuff. The razor with the, with the gold chain. And I bet I still have it somewhere in a box. You know, I think about the entrance, the sparks flying behind him, the gold chains, the gold intercontinental championship or championships when he was atop the ladder shining. This guy, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, was the definition of superstar when it came to WWF. Hell, the Razor Ramon entrance music is what I used between my last podcast and this one when I did those couple audio shows for those of you that listened to those for a couple of weeks on Twitter. So when I say that Scott Hall was one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, trust me, I absolutely mean it. As far as his career, you know, he started out with short stints in NWA, AWA, WCW, WWF, and New Japan. And then he actually got a run as the diamond stud for a bit in WCW before he finally debuted in WWF, of course, as Razor Ramon in 1992. Razor won the Intercontinental Championship four times. Two of his most memorable moments for me were at the time and what could potentially still be called the greatest upset in WWF history when the one, two, three kid, uh, Sean Waltman, X-Pac six, beat him on Raw. And then, of course, the latter match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 10, first of its kind, set a new tone for the entire industry. Uh, his WWF tenure ended with that infamous curtain call at Madison Square Garden, the rest of the click in the ring. We all know that story. And then he went to WCW for what was probably the most shocking debut in wrestling history alongside Kevin Nash. They formed the Outsiders. That, of course, led to the NWO, one of the most impactful stables in wrestling history, a ton of tag team titles with Nash, a United States championship in WCW, and I think a television championship as well. He eventually returned to WWF in 2002 and reformed the NWO after WCW was dead and buried. He had that great feud with Stone Cold Steve Austin that ended at WrestleMania X8, but he was soon released from WWE, I think it was then, uh, after the plane ride from hell. And of course, he battled addiction for years while wrestling off and on for TNA. And it was great to see him finally get his life back together from both a sobriety and overall health standpoint. He had a hip surgery, I believe it was nine years ago or so. And he did all that with the help of Diamond Dallas Page. Over the last eight years, he made a bunch of appearances back in WWE. He got inducted into the Hall of Fame twice as Razor Ramon and then with the NWO. And I'm so glad that they were able to do both of those before he passed. Uh, the speech for the Razor induction was one of my favorites ever. Short, sweet, to the point, and obviously 
an absolutely incredible closing line. And he also got to do like a little bit of wrestling in the Triple H Sting match um, when the NWO came out and he shined on the Raw 25 anniversary show. Scott's life ended uh, after a plant hip surgery resulted in a blood clot and then multiple heart attacks. He was put on life support, but taken off at Monday after his family was able to gather around him. It was just a sad end to a really great redemption story. And it definitely hurts that he's gone. Yeah, I think redemption story is a good way to put it because he'd been through a lot in his life. I mean, he back before he became a wrestler, he he mm-hmm. killed a man uh, at a nightclub because someone attacked him with a gun and he, it was self-defense uh, by all accounts. And, you know, the type of mental toll that takes, you know, you, you can understand why, you know, someone may be wrestling with a lot of demons. And yeah, that 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 documentary, the, the Jake the Snake DDP stuff or where DDP really, truly saved the lives of these guys and how much he was able to essentially get redemption over the last 10 years of his life with the Hall of Fames, uh, with his kids to, to understand how many people, you know, uh, love him. Uh, you mentioned that that appearance at WrestleMania 31. I think he took a, ba- a back body drop, a, a back uh a back uh, a fall when he was going to do the, the razor's edge and he got flipped over on his back at, at, at the age and the state he was in. So Amazing. this guy was, was dedicated to the business. There's so many stories from, from various wrestlers about how he helped them uh, with all these kinds of little things and just wanting to help the business. I didn't have the same relationship with him. I got into wrestling in the late eight at uh, late nineties. So he had already gone by then. My first uh, awareness of him came in the, the WrestleMania Super Nintendo game, where he's one hmm. of six, where he's one of six playable characters, and uh, I always thought he, was, he he had all the same mannerisms of that. And yeah, like you said, he was so cool. Like to this day, like if I'm just walking down the hallway, I'll just kind of do the strut with your arms out a little bit, just like it's like a fun thing to do. And you know his work. This guy had the best working punch in the business, by the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible, real looking punch and he sold great too and I, I a lot of people were sharing it yesterday the the, the the stone cold stunner sell at wrestlemania 18 and like it, it's a great gif or gif where you kind of see him fly out but I, I tweeted the video of it out last night because if you listen to the crowd when that second stunner and he flies up happens they go nuts like that is the business of selling right there uh just just tremendous stuff uh, a, a life well lived in the wrestling business turned things around at the end, a very sad ending, uh, but also glad he was able to see over the last 10 years how much he meant to everybody. It's also incredible that for all of the demons he wrestled with and the substance abuse and all the stuff he went through, you know, forget now, because when it's postmortem, everyone always says nice things. But leading up to this and just throughout the latter part of his life, the fi- last 10 years when he got sober, all this no one had a side word to say about Scott Hall. They just didn't. He was yeah. a professional. He seemed like a friend uh, to everyone backstage. You know, people idolized him. You look at uh, Damian Priest. He's based his entire career uh, around Scott Hall, Razor Ramon. Kevin Owens, of course, has a lot of uh, reverence for him. And, and it was great that he was able to do three different references uh, to, to Razor, to Scott. Uh, on Raw Monday night, of course, WWE announced um, they were the ones to officially announce his death right at the start of the show at, at 8 p.m. Apparently it happened not that long before that. So it was a tough night. You know, I think 
Um, it, for a, for good reason, for me, it really overshadowed the entire episode of Raw. It, it was what I was thinking about the entire time. And, you know, with that today here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we're going to start this show by saying goodbye to the bad guy. Hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. Yo, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and the road to WrestleMania 38 is winding down. So myself and Vintage Chris Vanini are here to break down every single thing that happened this week on WWE television across SmackDown and Raw. We have a loaded remainder of this show for you, so thanks for joining us once again. And because it is an edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, I would be remiss if I started any show without reminding you that this podcast... It's all about so please... Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being marks for getting over the Silver King and Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review on Spotify. You can also leave us a five-star rating, but on Apple. Let everyone know how much you love the show in your review. Tell them why they should listen and why they should subscribe. I want to give a shout out to Slim Slimmington, who uh, has our latest five-star review. Silver King is awesome. Silver King and Vintage always bring the heat. Love the podcast. Thanks, Slim. We love you too. Appreciate that. Uh, but these reviews, these ratings, they help us immensely. And given it is WrestleMania season, this is our time to shine. We had uh, some great numbers coming off AEW Revolution. We want to continue this momentum. So please, five-star ratings on Apple and Spotify and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts as well. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet live, during the four major American shows, uh, but we do polls. Uh, we send out news, alerts, updates, uh, fun gifts, videos, all that good type of stuff. And we also tell you every single time a new episode drops. So there's every reason to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now we do have a extended show today. We have the main event coming up, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and I'm, I promise I'm not really trying to start this show, Chris, on a uh, negative note when it comes to WWE, but something stood out to me Friday that I just cannot get over. And I feel like I need to discuss it at the top of the show because I don't want it to like invade everything else we talk about throughout the rest of the episode. <laughs> and that is very simply that Friday's episode of SmackDown was horrible and 
truly pathetic. It was probably the biggest waste of two hours watching wrestling that I can remember in years. Nothing happened. Nothing developed. One of our favorite wrestlers broke his freaking neck. WWE debuted a guy that we love, or at least I love, with a no-win, horrendous new name. The <laughs> champion wasn't on the show. The main storyline included the weakest backstage brawl I can remember in history. The main event had a WrestleMania competitor lose clean ahead of a fight with a celebrity. A moron must have booked this show. An absolute idiot. Nothing about it was redeeming. It was, like I said, truly pathetic in every way. I cannot imagine being someone who paid for tickets to watch that show live. I would be infuriated. I was actually embarrassed to say I watched WWE at the end of that show. Now, did I have a couple beers in me Friday night? You know, yes, I did. Um, so maybe is this slightly exaggerated? Possibly. But I went to cagematch.net. Really good site, by the way. It's what helps me generate some of the stats I have for records and things when I talk about it on the show. But I went there and I saw, you know, I wonder how fans graded because they have grades for every episode and match and stuff. I wonder how fans graded this episode of SmackDown compared to like all the ones this year, all the ones last year, etc. It is like the second lowest rated by fans SmackDown over the last 15 months. And I don't even know what the other one was. I don't know how there was a show worse than this. And then I went back even further. It was like one of the bottom 10 SmackDowns uh, by, again, fan ratings since 2016. But I'm telling you, given the circumstances, this being the road to WrestleMania and every show needing to be important to build up to their biggest pay-per-view premium live event, whatever the hell you want to call it of the year, I cannot think of a worse booked and put together show than SmackDown on Friday night. Yeah, it kind of didn't even seem real. Like, I kind of just, like, laughed at a few things because I was like, how is this actually happening? I mean, you laid it all out there, but but more than anything, and this is something we've talked about for a while, how do you have the road to WrestleMania where, like, three or four weeks out and you're not even going to have one of your champions on the show, especially when they're not on both shows right now, which is a whole other problem. Like, I, I, like, I know they've already set... They set Brock Roman weeks ago, and so there wasn't really much they could do over the next following month, which we talked about. And they've done a decent job in some spots on Raw building up the mid card. But yeah, like you build this as the biggest wrestling, biggest wrestling match ever, and we're not getting much of anything from it. You've got the debut of Pete Dunne, which we'll get into at a completely strange time with a strange name. And just like, I was like, holy crap, like. <laughs> How how did all of this get approved? And then you've got Biggie getting injured at the same time, which really took any chance of enjoying SmackDown uh, and threw it out the window. So, yeah, what an absolute disaster for a SmackDown that has been really rough ever since the draft and the roster got uh, just really got depleted. Yeah, I mean, that shows it's just getting worse and worse. It really is. And, and Raw... It's, you know, up and down, sure, but it's clearly the better show week to week. And mm-hmm. and for it to be a three-hour program and better, it's really just insane. Think about this. The Universal Champion was not on SmackDown this week, and the WWE Champion was not on Raw this week. Mm-hmm. But, like, if this was the situation, why did you even put Lesnar on that show? You should have had him come out on Raw and allow Rousey and Flair to dominate that show. Look, we're going to talk about 
that later. Those don't even come. SmackDown was so bad that the main event storyline meant to build up the main event of night one of WrestleMania is not in our main event segment this week. And for the first time in a long time, neither Brock Lesnar nor Roman Reigns nor something having to do with Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns is in our main event segment this week. It's not even close, in fact. So, Chris, yeah, I just wanted to say off the top, the show was awful. You know, I don't know how they rebound. They got, I think, three SmackDowns left, two really until the one that's literally the night before WrestleMania. So I'm sure they have some things up their sleeve, like for the Reigns-Lesnar storyline to like pump it up, you know, right before the the pay-per-view. But yeah, (laughs) I mean, not a banner week for SmackDown. And like I said, I'd really have to go back and find an episode that was worse than this. Even yeah. Raw. I mean, there, we were really shitting on Raw before the draft for a long time. And Raw is a three-hour slog. So a bad episode of Raw is really bad. But I don't think any of those awful episodes of Raw matched up to SmackDown on Friday night. Yeah, probably not. And honestly, I thought uh, this week's Raw was pretty good. I, I, I think they, 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 they have a vision and they're, they're starting to execute it on Raw. It's just baffling this was the case before the draft before it's just like it feels like all the energy and focus goes into one show and not the other and Mm -hmm. in in whichever one has the better roster it just it really seems to follow that i i agree with that um yeah and yes raw was not bad by any means it it was was it the best show that we've gotten recently no i mean they've put on you know i gotta say some pretty damn good raws recently Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say this was among the top but there was nothing wrong with the show on, on monday night and that's Certainly a positive. So you know what? With that, let's move on. Let's start talking about Raw by sliding into the main event. So we're going to focus this main event on two different storylines, one from Raw, one from SmackDown, which isn't even a storyline. Of course, it's Biggie. That's one of the most important things in wrestling right now. Uh, But let's start with Raw because Kevin Owens opened the show with a hey yo, which I thought was sweet. I wish he let it linger a bit, and I wish the crowd had caught on yeah. to it, but they didn't. Yeah, I, I had he, the same thought. I had the same thought. Yeah, he just like said it and then kept going. Whatever. Uh, Owens bragged about goading Stone Cold Steve Austin into accepting his invitation. The fans chanted USA. KO mocked some of Austin's sayings and promised to crack a can of Canadian beer, even though he doesn't like beer, once he kicks Austin's ass. Then he stunned the cameraman, who just so happened to be shown in the ring a couple <laughs> seconds earlier. And I will say they did get me there because I thought like WWE screwed up. Uh, directing and accidentally showed the cameraman and then and came off, but it was on purpose. Uh, he stunned his ass. The guy sold it like death. Good sell by him. It was a strong promo to open the show and build the match. It, I didn't really anticipate where the story was going to go from there, but in terms of a show opening segment, you know, you're going to do the Kevin Owens slash Seth Rollins versus combined, whatever you want to call it, storyline when you don't have main eventers on Raw right now because there's no cha- you know world champion on the show. That was the right direction, I think. Yeah, if you if you're not going to have Brock or Roman, having Kevin Owens be the guy to direct your show is a great call because this guy can do everything. This is why when we did the draft, you and I had our own draft before the draft. I I, I think I took him or I said I would have taken him really high. Like this is a guy you can build a company around. And this episode of Raw was an example of why. Not a question about it. So Seth Rollins was then shown backstage. Uh, he was speechless when he was asked about WrestleMania. There were light Cody chants in the background, and <laughs> WWE did not drown those out, let's be clear. Uh, later, Owens tried to cheer him up and motivate him backstage, calling him the visionary and the architect, and reminding him of all his success at WrestleMania. 
Suddenly, like a light bulb went off. Rollins came up with an idea. He smiled. He left. He got into the ring. He brought KO out. Rollins said he knows what he's going to do. He's going to create a talk show, maybe something called Freaking Speaking, which did kind of make me laugh a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and, go, and then he would go the same route as KO. Owens was obviously against that. Rollins said he wanted Austin to be his guest, and he challenged Owens to a match with the winner getting the talk show segment at Mania. KO got angry. Sonya Deville came out and said she liked the idea. So we'll have a main event match with the winner getting a talk show with Steve Austin as their guest. Owens was furious and incensed backstage. He said Sonya's decision didn't make any sense. And look, I think we need to be honest. That's true. It didn't make any sense given Stone Cold is literally feuding with Owens. Like like there's an entire storyline built up with Owens. So why would it ever be Rollins? Like it, it didn't make any sense. It also didn't make any sense why Rollins, this visionary architect type of guy, can't come up with another better idea than just siphoning off what his friend was doing. Uh, Rollins said backstage that Mania needs him. He would punch his ticket in the main event by beating Owens. My take on this whole thing was low. It was certainly convoluted. No question about it. It, it didn't make any sense as a storyline. Despite that, Owens and Rollins did a really good job selling it as not convoluted, as something important to both of them that the fans should care about. So it worked well enough as a setup for what was to come or what we think is to come. And ultimately, that's all that really matters. But was it convoluted? Yes, it was absolutely convoluted. I was curious what your opinion on this was going to be, because honestly, I have the exact same reaction. Like on paper, this is really stupid. <laughs> You're having Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins fight for the right to interview Stone Cold Steve Austin. You think that's really dumb, but the two of them just made it work. They sold me on it because they're both really, really good at what they do. They're just so good. Yeah. And, and it, I, it really felt like Seth Rollins wanted to take this from him. It really felt like KO was really upset that he might lose this moment uh, they just, they sold the hell out of it. And I was into it. I was like, all right, like Rollins probably is going to win, but I'm kind of curious to see what happens here. And, and uh, so yeah, just a, a real credit to the two of them for taking something that was kind of bad and they turned it into something that I was staying tuned to the show because I kind of wanted to see how it ended. Well, that's the thing. Anyone that has an established talk show, so like KO show, Miz TV, you know, cutting edge to a much lesser degree, but but really KO Show and Ms. TV, those two in WWE these days, it would make sense that if you don't have plans for them at WrestleMania or whatever, you want to make plans for them at WrestleMania, that you focus it around an established show. And KO always has guests and he creates controversy and he, and he cares about the show. So it just kind of fits together that yes, he would be upset that someone would try to take that from him, especially in kayfabe, his best friend, right? And it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it was a way for him to get to WrestleMania. So like the KO part of the storyline made all the sense in the world. The Rollins part of the storyline just didn't make any sense when this is not a talk show guy. It's a wrestling guy who wants to win championships and succeed in the ring. Why would he, you know, why would the idea he comes up with be this? So again, it just, it wasn't great from a conceptual standpoint, but you can give not great creative to people the caliber of Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins and see it come through, you know, perfectly. Very similar to WWE giving shit creative to Dean Ambrose and John Moxley making it work 
for a very long period of time as the lunatic fringe. You yeah. know, not that dissimilar here. So we get to the main event, Rollins versus Owens for an interview segment with Steve Austin at WrestleMania on the line. KO was in the ring for 14 minutes and Rollins for like five minutes before the bell due to video packages, commercials, etc. And a fan even caught Rollins on like his iPhone camera, like waiting in the ring, looking at the big screen. Like he was leaning on the ropes and he's like, this just happened tonight. Why are we looking at this now? Like, I yeah, think he was, I, the same I think he was talking to the referee. Yeah. And I mean, if that's what we're all thinking. It's what we've been thinking, Chris, for whatever, six weeks, two months since they've been doing this. I had the same thought. And, and so, so I wrote down here, it was Kevin Owens entrance, commercial, K.O. Rollins package, Seth entrance, commercial, Bianca Becky recap, and then the match. It, it, it was a lot. Also, the K.O. Rollins video package, they had like dramatic music around something that happened earlier in the show. It was like an hour ago, and they had like this dramatic music, slow motion video. It, I don't know if it was meant to be like tongue in cheek, but it was just like, this is a lot. So I don't know. I will say it was an impressive turnaround. It was. It was. I was just like, wait a minute. Yeah. I was like, I was like, wait, th- this is what we just saw. Like, it was just, it was different. I don't know. I, again, I don't know if it was tongue in cheek or not because of the storyline, but uh, yeah, it was a lot. Like, it was like, shoot, my time it was like nine thirty-five when they when when Kevin Owens is coming out. They they didn't start for like ten minutes. The match. It, no, it was it was fifteen minutes. Owens came out at ten thirty sharp, and the match okay. rang at. Um, 1044 to 1045 in that area. It, it was absolutely yeah. now it's not it's not the longest they've done because they did one that was 20 minutes, but <laughs> that's still ridiculous, especially when you have these two guys in the main event. People want to see them wrestle. So okay, that was ridiculous, right? But let's talk about the match. Rollins backdropped him on the apron, but Owens caught a tope suicida. He did this was his third razor tribute. He did a fallaway slam outside the ring, then he did a sent on. Uh, KO focused on Rollins' injured knee. Rollins jumped over a pop-up powerbomb, hit a sling blade, springboard knee, and two tope suicidas. Owens just beat the 10 count after being knocked over the announce table. He ate a super kick. Rollins then pointed at the WrestleMania sign and hit a frog splash for a 2.5 count. Owens countered the superplex into an avalanche brainbuster for a 2.5. Rollins blocked the senton bomb with double knees. The crowd was really hot for this. Rollins countered a stunner into a roll-up, but the referee fell outside the ring and was late on the count. KO was able to dodge the stomp and hit the stunner for the win to keep his WrestleMania spot. I thought it was an exceptional match. A ton of really good wrestling. I went four stars in an A-, minus, just because the referee finished the long commercial in the middle of the match. You never really felt like it had the cohesion you need to be an A or an A-plus match, but it was awesome. It, it, was a, it was kind of draggy to start, and I wasn't super into it. But the last like five minutes or so, I was really into it, partly because I didn't know how it was going to end. I didn't know if someone was going to show up at the end because this was a raw in Jacksonville and and the the, the, the kickouts and, and finishes were pretty creative. I like the finish, the whole the referee getting knocked out of the ring, but not getting knocked out, so to speak. He was mm-hmm. able to come in. He was just late. So it, it, it's a good way to to honestly protect Rollins while giving him a loss. And it wasn't like some convoluted way to do it. It was just kind of a fluky thing. So I liked the end of the match, actually. I thought it was it was really good and really hot by the end. And the, the, the biggest criticism I have of the match is the way Rollins took the stunner 
I yeah. I I yeah. judge every, I I harshly judge every wrestler for how they take a stunner, whether it was Kevin Owens, whether it was uh, Austin back in the day. Like if I was a wrestler, that's like the number one thing I would look forward to is how I would sell the stunner. Because who like, are, let me ask you a question: Who are the three best stunner takers of all time? Shane McMahon, who would always kind of oh flop Shane like McMahon, a, interesting. Okay, yeah, he'd always like okay. flop like a seal. There was a funny okay. gif of him like doing that. Kurt Angle because he would he would take the impact and hit the ground hard like it always felt impactful when it was from him mm-hmm. as for like the rock is obviously like you think of he's the rock sells but he's but the, it's 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 tough because like they're so like out there it's, he's like flopping around like crazy so but they like, progressively they progress upward yeah like, yeah they, they they were always yeah. tough and then uh, and then uh, an honorable mention to the Scott Hall again at WrestleMania 18 so, yeah, so I was going to say The Rock, uh, Scott Hall, even though it was only like one or two that he ever took, you know, it's it's a small sample size, but it doesn't matter. He did, you know, he took it. Uh, and then yeah. I was actually going to say Vince McMahon because he didn't take oh, them really? well. He didn't take them well, right? Because right. he wasn't a wrestler and whatever, but he he died when he took them. Like he took <laughs> them true. and he just face planted. And to yeah, me, he, that was always entertaining. He took them like an RKO or a diamond cutter. essentially. Right. He took them as if like once he took it, he was out. Whereas like yeah. Shane would flop and all that, but Shane Shane is a good for honorable mention. I will I will give you credit for that. That is fair. Really and also, you know who took a well? The cameraman at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that's why I said he he did a good job. Yeah, yeah. he did but a no, great but you, you are right did. though. You are right though. Um, Rollins did not take it well, and that was shocking. Very surprising. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I do want to clarify one more thing before we move on. I'm not saying I disliked the finish. I thought it was very smart for all the reasons that you said. It gave Rollins an out. Where yeah, he lost, but like. It wasn't the cleanest way to lose. But when I have a finish like that that comes at the end of the match and I'm doing a grade for the match, I usually take that into an account, right? Like if it was super clean and they were just going back and forth, exchanging finishers, false finishes, the whole deal, this would have been an A match. But again, when it was, it was number one as a TV match. So we had the long commercial break. But then number two, you have a finish where it's like, oh, they didn't really put someone over the other person, like in a real way. I always do a little downgrade there. So I'm just being consistent across the board. So that's why that was my grade. So coming out of the match, uh, it ended at 10.59. And I think there was a lot of expectation coming in from people that Cody Rhodes would debut with WWE, return, I guess, with WWE is the better term, um, at the end of this main event, given they were in Jacksonville, which of course is the home base of AEW. But that's not really what happened. In fact, it's not even close to what happened. Uh, Rollins stared at the WrestleMania sign, dejected, upset, you know, inside of himself, didn't know what to do. And the show ended with Corey Graves and Jimmy Smith saying the following two sentences, one after another. All of Seth Rollins' hopes and WrestleMania dreams were dashed tonight on Monday Night Raw. The vision has become an absolute nightmare. If that's not a tease, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. We don't have to be obtuse and ignore the blatant Cody Rhodes references here. Given how the show was booked and the fact that Raw was in Jacksonville, like I said, it really did feel like the debut return was going to happen in this main event. And you could say that's a missed opportunity. But I think there's a couple things to consider. The first is maybe WWE did plan to do it, but delayed it given the Scott Hall headlines. Or maybe WWE just decided that it has three options remaining if it is going to debut Cody, if he signed or if he does end up signing, and it believes that one of those three options is better. 
And I'll get to those three options in a moment, Chris. But I was curious if you had the same thoughts, feelings, and I don't want to say expectation because there was really no reason to expect it. But the way it kind of went down, hearing the Cody chants earlier, seeing them pushed so far off into the main event, it just felt like that's what WWE was doing. I did not catch those two lines at the end. I'm not going to lie. This is the first time hearing them. That's how right. I, I, again, I, I, dreams I think it was, dashed nightmare. Yeah. I think yeah. I was just, I was so focused visually on waiting to see if the, 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 you know, the, the credit thing was going to pop up or wait to see if it was going to happen that I just wasn't really listening. I just, I, I didn't really catch those lines. So I'm glad you said them. Uh, Cause I didn't realize that I, I had been so focused on Cody because a lot of the AW people on Twitter were like, freaking out about it and people like making jokes that the, that the, the close of the show is going to be the biggest rating pop Raw's ever had because all the aw fans are just waiting to see if he shows up uh so it was surprising obviously you know raw in jacksonville i think a lot of people expected it um i don't i don't know why they did or didn't i you know we don't really know what the whole thing is but hearing that finish uh, I actually really, really like the troll job. I, I really respect, <laughs> really respect it, uh, knowing uh, knowing that now. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I'm still very curious, and and I guess that's the point. So here are those three options that I mentioned that WWE has. Again, if Cody is signed or if he is going to sign, we don't know for sure whether that is the case. But it does seem like all indications are he will be in WWE and he will be at WrestleMania. So I mean, this, this is like this is like a this is like AEW CM Punk best in the world stuff without telling you, but they're telling you very it's similar. Just, the the difference being, they had announced AEW had announced an event in Chicago that was like true. blatantly obviously going to be Punk's debut, right? And it the word leaked to the point that everyone knew that's when it was going to end, right? It was going to end on that date. Here, there's time and. Because it's WrestleMania season, you could say, again, let, let me get to it, right? It, it could happen at any, any time. And I think the first time people thought it would happen would be Jacksonville to stick it to Tony Khan and AEW and the whole deal. But again, there's three more options for WWE. Next week, guess where Raw is? It's in Chicago, okay? Jacksonville may be AEW's home base, but Chicago is the spiritual home of the company. It's where, by the way, all in was held, which of course is very sentimental to Cody. So it could make all the sense in the world for WWE to debut him next week in Chicago. The go home show in two weeks is in Pittsburgh. Now that location doesn't mean anything, of course, but if WWE is at this point where he doesn't debut next week, it might as well tease an opponent, maybe with Vince McMahon or someone promising Rollins a match on the card against a surprise. And that would potentially work. And the third option, of course, is not saying much of anything and having Cody return at Mania in a total surprise, just like the Hardy Boys in Orlando. It doesn't sell the show, but the teases and the hype, it's obvious already. And it would be a big headline-making moment, probably for night one, which has the two women's title matches, but is pretty low relatively. Well, on it, things that are going to make headlines. It's got Steve Austin on night one. That's going to be the biggest headline no matter what. Good point. A oh, good point. So maybe it's night two or I don't know. But the problem is that having Cody debut somewhere could overshadow a Steve Austin. I mean, it wouldn't overshadow Steve Austin. I'm just saying. But it could overshadow Ronda Rousey winning the title, Bianca Belair winning the title. Um, you don't want it to compete 
with other things, in my opinion. So for those reasons, Chris, out of what I just laid out, my best case scenario is next week in Chicago. I think it's the clear, clearest move. He shows up next week, doesn't say anything. The following week, he cuts a promo on the go home, and then he wrestles at WrestleMania. Again, this is assuming that Cody is signed or will sign with WWE. But at this point, it really just feels so blatantly obvious that it's going to happen that I'm anticipating next week. If not that, I think it could very well be a Hardy Boys situation. Well, are we expecting to get Stone Cold on a Raw before Mania? I don't think we're going to. Maybe there's a video, like a Skype or something like that, but I don't know why they would have him show up and get that first massive pop somewhere other than, you know, Dallas. Because if you're going to have him in the ring with Owens, he needs to stun his ass. Or take maybe, but, One of the but I also, I also, I don't know. I kind of, you know, Kevin Owens has been calling him out a lot as, you know, I guess, you know, when the Cena Undertaker thing happened, we didn't get Undertaker till, till Mania, so it's possible. But as you think, like, you know, if, if WB is trying to sell more tickets, you know, you probably have Austin show up on a, a Raw beforehand. You probably have Cody show up on a Raw beforehand if, you, if you're trying to sell more tickets. Um, but, I, you know, if, if they if they save it for Mania, I love it. Like I'm always about save your surprises for the big moments. Don't do it early just to pop a rating or to sell tickets. So personally, I would love if it was at Mania. Business wise, I would be very surprised if they waited until Mania. I, I, but then again, we're not getting Roman Reigns on TV sometimes, so I don't really know what the plan is. How these TV shows are exactly supposed to sell the show, uh, the, the Mania show. So I. I I, I really don't know. And I like that I don't know. I like that I don't know too. That's the excitement and that's the fun of it. I tweeted this out and we'll move on after this. But, you know, a lot of people coming out of Raw, you know, I, th- I feel like a lot of people watched Raw live because they didn't want to miss potentially the Cody moment and they were built up for it. So all I saw were complaints. They were saying yeah. the hype is gone now. WWE waited too long and it's ruined and all that type of stuff. And I'm sitting back here thinking, you you get angry that WWE doesn't tease and promote and and get you excited about stuff. And then WWE teases and gets you excited about something, but doesn't promote it on purpose, by the way, because it's supposed to be a surprise. And now you're angry because they didn't show up when you wanted them to. Like that is that encapsulates the problem with the internet wrestling community. It's if it doesn't happen exactly the way that I want it to, exactly the time I want it to, then it's bad. WWE's bad. The hype is ruined. Let's not forget, (laughs) Cody, he's been a free agent less than a month. It just happened. So I don't understand why people are getting so like up in their feelings that WWE's teasing something. That's the whole point. They want you to watch their show and they want you not to watch for one week. They want you to watch every week or at least a couple weeks so they can maximize the output of the big surprise. Yes, exactly. I mean, this is the point I made last week when I said I don't read the dirt sheets because I don't want to hear the rumors or the placeholders or the whatever for the for the purpose of being potentially being let down. And also, I want to be surprised. I don't like that they announced that AJ Styles is going to be on Raw next week. <laughs> to, to, to respond I would have to preferred them not do that as well. I agree. I, yeah. I wanted to have Edge cut a promo and then AJ's music hits. He's going to come kick Edge's ass. Crowd goes crazy. But, you know, 
having announcing AJ gives people a reason to want to tune in. So like, I, again, I get that from a business standpoint, but so no, I, I, I'm not, honestly, I, again, like I thought it was a pretty hilarious troll to not do it after all that buildup. And weirdly, I think I trust them to handle this one the right way because of how they have handled it so far. They, they've teased it just enough in a way that has you thinking, but not enough that, you know, and I like when, right. we, when we don't know. Exactly. And they shouldn't be blatant and beat you over the head with it. Like, you know, it, it's they've really done a good job with this. Now, I agree that it being, you know, so close to WrestleMania, it would have been ideal if we actually had a storyline and and yes. Cody was built up and got to cut a couple promos, explain why, he, why he's back and all this type of stuff. All that would be nice. But I think there's enough time where you can allow that to happen. You can have Cody make the challenge, go into Mania, have the match. And then on the Raw after Mania, that's the moment Cody gets to get a mic for the first time. You can promote it. He explains what he's doing back in WWE. And then you go into the whole thing. And that helps sell the Raw after WrestleMania as well. So, you know, I don't think, look, am I saying that they're doing a perfect job and, and faultless? No, I think this probably could have been handled better. But they again, could still mess it up. They but, could mess it up. And they could still mess it up too. But But again, everyone's assuming that WWE is in complete control of this whole situation. What if Cody hasn't signed yet? Right? Like my, my, my thought is if he hasn't signed, there's no way they're going to tease it. I don't think Vince McMahon's, I don't think Vince McMahon signs off on these teases. Uh, if, if, if it's not happening. Sure. But okay, let's say, so let, let I me, mean, last night was really the first significant tease based on what I told well, you. No, okay? Miz, Miz, before he announced Logan Paul, Miz had a lot of, uh, he talked about dashing people and, and he made some. That is comments. true. That is true. But I'm saying this in regards to Rollins and a potential feud and match. Yes. This yes. was really the first time that we got that. So it's very possible that, I mean, he signed Sunday or something like that. My point being that just because we think something's going to happen doesn't mean it has happened. And there could be numerous extenuating circumstances on why WWE has chosen to do things a certain way and not do things a certain way. Just like I'll criticize a piece of booking and I'll say, why the hell did they do that? Uh, here's an example. Uh, the Montez Ford, Randy Orton thing a couple of weeks ago, right? Now it was a botched finish and we're, and we're going to talk about later what happened with it, but it seems that was the planned end to the match, like not botched, but like for real because of what the WrestleMania matches. I criticized it. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. They got to do better. They got to be smarter. Guess what? That was the plan. And here's why it reveals itself after the fact. So, you know, we can criticize, but we don't know the details. And we're not going to know the details until A, Cody signs and debuts and all that. And B, probably does an interview and explains, yes, I was signed. No, I wasn't. This was the plan. No, it wasn't the plan. We don't know this shit yet. So people are just getting angry and upset and saying the hype is gone for no reason when guess what? We just spent a ton of time talking about it on this show. It's one of the top things that people are talking about on Twitter and Reddit and everywhere else, you know, in the IWC. So how is the hype gone if everyone's still talking about it? Yeah, no, the, the, people will forget about that as soon as he, he comes. It's, it, it would be it would be a lot more if they had announced it and said next week, Cody Rhodes is coming back to Raw. That's how you kill the hype. They're, they're, you know what you still... kill, This is how you kill the hype. John Morrison making his debut on the bump. Announcing he's signing on the bump and then making his debut backstage with the Miz. Mm -hmm. That's how you kill someone's return. Yes. No, yeah, no. They're, Not this. It's yeah. going to be a huge pop when he shows up. It's going to be on every wrestling site, talked about everywhere. No. Exactly. No. Okay. So the second part of this main event, and man, I mean, it's it's the opposite of getting excited about something. 
Um, it's Big E and his very serious injury suffered Friday night. Let's talk about what preceded it. And then, of course, we'll talk about the injury. So they scheduled New Day versus Sheamus and Ridge Holland, which I feel like was a match that we've seen before. But the heels had sledgehammers backstage and introduced Butch as their third. Butch is Pete Dunne. I was truly floored by this introduction. This is where I laughed. I, I thought it was a joke. Why not just call the fucking guy Pete Dunne, or if you have to change his name, Butch Dunne. Like, it doesn't, it's yeah. not that hard. They went the Madcap Moss route with a 28-year-old star. I didn't get it. And look, I'm not someone who always minds name changes. There are occasional name changes that are improvements. But shit like, like Madcap, Dewdrop, and Butch is just mm-hmm. infuriating. Like, what the F is this? Yeah, Pete, and Pete Dunn's actually like playing off it pretty funny on on Twitter. He he keeps tweeting things and like signing them Butch. It's like in all caps, and he said he tweets, "It's all about the Butch." Butch. Credited to Butch, which is actually <laughs> a, which I think is actually a reference to BTE, where uh, John Silver always says to to, to they they call uh, Adam Cole they call him Budge. And they say it's all about the budge. So I think that was a, a BCE was. reference. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm i just so confused because Pete, Pete Dunne was the first NXT UK champion. They clearly had such big plans for him. He's been in developmental for so long. He's been on the main roster before, briefly. Like, how, how, how can you debut someone that you've had such high hopes for in such a... I don't think there's a, a less meaningful way you could debut him than this. As part of a three-man group, and his name is Butch. Well, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay with him being part of the group. Let me put. Let me make that clear. Because first of all, he was aligned with Ridge what? Holland in, in NXT. Ridge Holland, by the way, who kept his name from NXT. Yes. Uh, but he was aligned. He was aligned with Ridge in NXT. They're with Sheamus, a former world champion, one of the company's best workers, a guy that consistently gets heat and puts on great matches. So the alignment is fine, and it made sense in storyline context. Even though, look, this whole thing with the ATV and the sledgehammers, the whole thing is absolutely ridiculous, okay? But clearly what they were doing here was setting up a three-man team so that Xavier Woods, King's, King Woods could come back. Now you're going to have a six-man match at WrestleMania. To me, yeah. it was blatantly clear and obvious that's what they were going to do, either at Mania or the go-home SmackDown, whatever the case might be, okay? So I didn't mind him debuting with these guys, potentially in this situation. The two negatives were one, the name, and two, you want him to run in and attack yes. someone and exactly. make an impact in front of the crowd. You don't mm-hmm. just want it to him to show up backstage and say, oh, by the way, this is a guy, his nickname's Butch, he's with us now. That's how you kill the hype for somebody. That's how that's you kill how you the make, hype for That's somebody. how you make someone not feel like a big deal. And then you have like Pat that. McAfee, by the way, on commentary, and I know, Chris, you were not a big NXT fan, but Pat McAfee had a group in NXT that Ridge Holland and Pete Dunn were part of, and they're having Pat act like they've never seen Pete Dunn before, like he's never seen him before, when he recruited him to be part of his group so we could attack Adam Cole and wreak havoc and, and do all the shit he did. So it just, it's like WWE wants its fans to forget NXT or anything that ever happens on NXT exists, but they only do it in certain situations. Like, when they brought Shinsuke right. Nakamura up, they couldn't talk enough about NXT. When they brought Finn Balor up or Kevin Owens, Braun came Bra- with the Braun title. Breaker, Braun Breaker last week. 
they couldn't talk. Yeah, they couldn't talk enough about NXT. Braun Breaker, they've mentioned it with Tommaso Ciampa. Um, uh, you know, certainly when they did those two tag teams with Aleister Black and Ricochet, you know, that whole thing they did. They talked about NXT plenty. But then Dewdrop comes from NXT uh, UK at, you know, Piper Nevin. Never mention it. Pete Dunne, former longtime UK champion. They don't mention it. I mean, it's it, it's so weird how they only treat NXT as important when it's convenient for them. And then they just, again, Pete Dunne, great name. Really, really strong wrestling name. And again, you need to copyright something. You want to make him Butch Dunne. I don't love it, but I accept it, right? Because it's similar enough and whatever. It's the main roster. You know what I would have called But a single him- name Butch? Yeah. He's not even a big dude. A, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a bad name. Like, say what you will about Gunther, but like, you can kind of see it. Gunther's a perfectly <laughs> fine name. There were bad. It was yeah. a bad situation that happened with it. There was yeah. nothing wrong with that as a name, like it, for a wrestler. Period. And, and look, when, when it, we don't need to do a whole NXT talk here, but like, when, when in the general sense of, hey, I understand if WWE doesn't want to continue everything over somebody was doing in NXT because that's not always the point. The point is for them to develop. The point is not necessarily for it to be a minor league where they can they can bring somebody up and up and down and do some things. Now they have done that and they've done it in in, in, in spots. But I can see it would be like, hey, what Pete Dunn did in NXT doesn't really matter. Not a ton of people watch it. We want to introduce him with a new thing. So we're going to do that. So like I get that idea in general. But Pete Dunne is not the person I think you need to do this with. If if you if you want to call him something else, call him Petey Petey Dunne and like change the spelling or something like that. Like like even Seamus said like people might know him by a different name, but to us he's Butch. And like I kind of appreciated that recognition a little. At bit. least they recognize but then you, it. Yeah. But then you have Pat McAfee completely not obviously recognizing it. So it's like it's it's just it's really inconsistent, and and there's not a plan and. I honestly, I think more than anything, it makes you not want to watch NXT because then they're telling you what you're seeing here really actually might not matter down the road. As opposed to if you debut him and said, PD Dunn, whoever had an incredible NXT career, he was the UK champion, he did all this stuff. And you're like, oh, hey, there's like future stars down in NXT that I need to watch. It's It's the opposite where they're not promoting NXT in a way where they could build upon it. And I think that's what's most frustrating. You're exactly right. They should it, The ability to say, hey, look at this new guy. He's awesome. By the way, he was on this product that we also own mm-hmm. that you should watch. If you like what he did tonight, you should go and watch that. Like, that's exactly how you sell your other product. And there was a time where WWE did that, like at the beginning, right? Um, they did it with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. That's the best, like, example of that when they had Owens come they're over. Do, they're at- doing it now with Braun Breaker and Ziggler. That's why it's, that's why it's so confusing. A little so bit, yeah. yeah, a little bit, yeah. But but yeah, it, it's just it's so frustrating. Again, as someone who loves some of these people that they call, bring over and and have has so much, like I think back to Swerve. By the way, don't miss that interview on the podcast. And he gets brought up, and I'm like, oh my god, this guy is going to explode. He's going to be such a big star. Released in three weeks, and it's just like, you know, I, I'm I'm worried. That's all I'm going to say. So look, let's get to mm-hmm. what happened here, okay? Uh, Kofi hit an SOS for a near fall. Biggie missed a tope spear and Holland got him outside and delivered a toss belly to belly suplex over his head, dumping Biggie straight onto the top of his head. Butch distracted and Sheamus got the win. Dunn attacked after the bell until Sheamus pulled him off of Kofi. It's like he was a rabid Wolverine. 
Very similar to a Chris Benoit type of like attack someone, can't be stopped type of deal. Uh, Biggie laid motionless after the bell outside. He got carted out of the arena. His health is the main topic here. We'll get to that after we talk about the booking really quick. On its own, this entire thing, as I said, from the induction of Dunn, introduction of Dunn as Butch, that was awful. Then you have Biggie getting badly injured on a move outside the ring. It didn't even factor into the finish, and it made me sick to my stomach. The whole deal was a complete disaster. It was probably the worst thing that's happened in WWE, both kayfabe and out of kayfabe, since you know, since the start of 2022, and probably way before that too. I don't even want to talk about like the match and what it means going forward. I think they were going to do a six man. I'll probably do a tag. Whatever. The key here is I just hope Biggie is okay as soon as possible. Biggie revealed Friday night, uh, right after SmackDown, while he was in the hospital, that he was able to move all of his extremities. So he's not paralyzed, but he does have a broken neck. Over the weekend, he took to Twitter again. He said tests were done and it was relatively good news. He doesn't have any spinal cord damage or any serious risk, you know, in that regard. But he does have fractures to his C1 and his C6. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on this podcast. And even if I was a doctor, I don't have his scans. So I can't tell you that I know anything. But I did do a lot of research on athletes that suffer similar types of injuries. And best I could tell is this is something that is you're able to recover from. Four to six months, he very well could be back if the fractures heal properly. But that's obviously a big if, because when you break a bone or when you fracture a bone, it does not always heal properly. And considering it's the neck and surrounding the spinal cord, that can be extremely dangerous if it's not healed properly. So the truth is, we just don't know what's happening with Biggie. Um, for me, you know, it was sadness, of course, Friday and hope over the weekend. And I, I wish him nothing but the best. I'm sure you feel exactly the same way. He is a light in a very dark industry. You know, we talk about all the time how he's universally beloved. You saw that outpouring of affection, crossing promotional uh, boundaries. Apparently there were dozens of WWE wrestlers who visited him in the hospital, including Ridge Holland. Uh, apparently there was a report from Wade Keller of the Professional Wrestling Torch, PW Torch, that there's no heat on Holland for this. It was pretty much seen as both guys botching it together, which is generally true. When it's a belly to belly, you have to have the right lift, the jump, the whole thing has to be executed perfectly, and it wasn't. Um, you know, I certainly don't know how Big E feels, but, you know, I'm sure he's not happy. Uh, at the same time, you know, accidents do happen, and it absolutely sucks that it's a guy in Big E who, yeah, again, we're mid-March here. You know, two and a half months ago, <laughs> this guy was the WWE champion and on the best run of his career, and now he's laid up in the hospital with two fractures in his neck just a horrible turn of events. And I wish him nothing but a fast recovery and complete health when he does recover. Yeah. I mean, one of my first thoughts was thank God it's not worse because it could have been so much worse. And, and honestly, I immediately thought back to uh, Mad Cat Moss at Elimination Chamber as well. We, there, there've been two really bad guys mm -hmm. landing right on their head spots and they could have been paralyzed and they're not. And Thank God they're as strong as they are, especially in their neck. I'm sure. I'm sure that played a role. You know the 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 muscles that they they have up there. Yeah, I, I mean it's just you feel terrible for Biggie, who, you know, we weren't thrilled about where the New Day was going into Mania, but shoot, you you want you want Biggie to be there. You want the New Day to be there. A guy who was a champion not that long ago, uh, hoping he's going to get that next run. Uh, but more than anything, just thank God he's. Uh, 
it, it seems to be as good as possible given the situation. Uh, he made the comment, uh, if you're going to break your neck, do it in Birmingham, Alabama, <laughs> which is, which not is true. Un, not untrue, by the way. Nope, with the, the yeah. UAB medical team there, like some of the best in the world. And that's where all the, you know, anytime someone tears an ACL or something like that, uh, they go down to Dr. James Andrews at, uh, in Birmingham. So, uh, yeah, just, just really hope he's doing okay. Really sucks that whole, that whole thing happened the way it did. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Guys landed on their heads. And, and even, shoot, even in the, the Street Profits match, it was a spot where Angelo Dawkins landed on his head, and I kind of caught myself a bit. So uh, Dewdrop did a uh, cannonball outside into the barricade, but there wasn't a lot of space for her to rotate. And she landed on her head also and like grabbed it. And I was like, oh, my God, don't tell yeah. me twice. So, yeah, be, I mean, look, it happens careful, all the folks. time. It happens in AEW. We talked about, um, I think it was Isaiah Cassidy took that bump where his neck snapped oh, on yeah. the back of a table. I was like, yeah. I was like, this guy broke his neck and he was totally fine. So, man, uh, look, I think one thing maybe is true. And I, I'm sure Biggie will be asked about this, you know, in the future when he does interviews and stuff. But maybe the meat surrounding that neck and the big meaty shoulders and torso and all that, maybe it helped, right? I'm I mean, sure it did. The guy's, the guy's built up and, and it, probably as strong as you can possibly get in like that region. So, you know, um, look, let's just be at this point thankful and hopeful that it's not worse. That's the most important thing. And I definitely hope that he gets back sooner than later because Biggie, you know, it's he's one of the best things on WWE TV. Um, and he's one of the best people in professional wrestling. And those are the two most Absolutely. important things. Sorry, it, it, the number it, it, one it, it, most important also, thing is, is how great of a person he is. A far yes. second is that he's one of the best things in WWE. Well, and that was evident with, with the um, all the people, all the pouring out of support for him. People in AEW and everywhere, just like everybody loves this dude mm -hmm. so much. And and, and we, we just all hope he's going to be okay. We absolutely do. That is the main event for today, which means all that is left here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I say that as if we don't have plenty to talk about still, which we do. But what's next, what's left, is the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so Brock Lesnar opened SmackDown angry that Roman Reigns made him bleed at Madison Square Garden. He threw the WWE title out of the ring and demanded blood for blood. Paul Heyman came out and said Reigns isn't in attendance. Lesnar asked who then would protect Heyman and chased him backstage. Heyman jumped into a limo and sped out of the arena. There was nothing wrong with this per se, but it didn't accomplish anything. And I didn't find it that entertaining either. I'll say good, I guess, but I almost would have preferred that we just didn't see them this week and they left them off the show entirely. So a lot of times I will look at the, the YouTube views to see kind of what was big and what wasn't. How, what do you think? How many views do you think this got estimate? Typically 1 million is good. So what do you think? Um, Brock Lesnar chasing Paul Heyman. I don't know what mm -hmm. it depends what the title of it was. It's called it's called Brock Lesnar chases down Paul Heyman after Roman. Reigns um, probably pretty good. Probably it probably did well. Three million. Yeah. Three million. I, I have stunned. That's the most I've ever seen on, on one of these. Maybe since we've been doing this. But, uh, you know, in the moment, I thought it was kind of interesting. I liked Oh, I, I I liked it when it happened. You know, I like when people go backstage and it's, it, you realize it was, this is a whole world and not just something that happens on a stage. And Paul, uh, Brock was running 
fast. And the first people he hit and he like throws them into the table, like, holy cow, that was some force that was going on there. And I like seeing the camera guys. I like seeing the lights, you know, as they're trying to shine it on Brock as he's far down the, the stage. Um, ultimately, obviously, this didn't turn into anything, but I, I liked it for what it was. You know, I would have liked more, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving it a good. Exactly. It's just it, it wasn't when it's Brock and Roman, it should be great every time. This wasn't right, but it also wasn't bad. So good. Uh, Ronda Rousey was in the ring cutting a boring ass promo about her skills, but she did get chance from the crowd. You know, we'll be honest. Uh, she said she learned the ankle lock from Kurt Angle and would tap out Charlotte Flair with it. Flair took an hour to make her entrance and said she didn't tap out last week because it didn't count. Flair said she wasn't impressed with Rousey's ankle lock and would make her tap out instead. Charlotte walked out to heel heat and Rousey got the last words. Rousey was actually okay in the close of this, but the whole segment was an absolute waste of time that just did not build the match at all. And we'll talk about the thing that happened next, next. Uh, but this was bad. I, Ron is not getting any better on the mic in terms of just projecting. She still, she like starts off her promo. Like she's in the middle of a conversation. Mm -hmm. Like she just starts talking and it's not, there's no pronouncement. There's no just, you know, expressing yourself emotions. It's been the same pretty much since he got back. I, I don't get why it hasn't gotten better. I know that they know this because bully Ray made the same comment on busted open radio. It, it, it's like, it's, I don't know what she's trying to be. Is she trying to be happy to be there? Is she trying to be the baddest one on the planet? Has having, has had it, has having had a kid changed her outlook? Like we still don't know anything. She's just like, she's a, a caricature of an idea and not a, a person. And we just, we have no sense of who she is right now. Uh, th this was, this was bad. I, th this is going to main event. The, I don't know if they've announced it, but I'm sure this is going to main event the night one of WrestleMania. So and man, I originally, I originally it was listed as that, but recently they've put Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair in Good. that spot. And I've seen graphics for both like in that kind of zone. So I guess they're maybe trying to see if this one gets enough hype and attention and YouTube views and social media, you know, they're probably judging it based on analytics and they'll probably make a decision based on that. But clearly they want Flair and Rousey to main event night. Yeah, it got, by the way, it got about 740,000 views clear. No, actually, no, it was a number three thing on the night. So, yeah, I don't I'm just I'm really surprised that Rhonda. It's not I'm not saying she's not good on the mic. I think the lines aren't bad. She's just not like speaking well. And it's it's very strange. Yeah, it's really strange. It's like they brought her back and figured just Rhonda being back was enough and that they didn't have to do anything to give her a storyline or put her over or or anything like that. And, and that's certainly frustrating. Uh, later backstage, Flair threw Rousey into a car. Pat Buck, Shane Helms, and Jamie Noble tried to restrain them, but they fought them off. Flair suplexed Rousey into the hood of a car and tried to submit her, I think, with like fish hooks on both sides of her mouth before being pulled off. It was like a G-rated version of their brawl with Becky and the cop cars at Wrestle before WrestleMania 35. It's like they tried to do the same thing, but failed to make it even the least bit interesting. So Again, I'm just going with another bad. It wasn't ugly. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it had no heat and it didn't make me care any more about the match than I did before. I, I gave the, the promo bit a, a bad, but I'm going to give this a good. I, I thought this was fine. It, it, it actually got me more interested in the two of them than anything else that they've done has. Them talking together is not working. So at least make them physical and, and do something and, and maybe I'll get a little bit more, more into it. This actually did get me a bit more interested in it. It wasn't great, 
but I thought it was fine. I'll give it a good. Fair enough. Uh, Bianca Belair fought Dewdrop on Raw. Belair said her braid can be an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage because people like Becky Lynch use it against her. She talked about injuring Becky's voice box and said she'd shut her up for good at WrestleMania. Uh, Belair hit her great, you know, flip handspring standing moonsault. Dewdrop then shoved her hard into the barricade, but missed a cannonball that we talked about earlier and almost landed on her head. They did more of their normal sequences and Belair ended with the KOD to Dewdrop to win in about nine minutes after the bell. Lynch pulled Belair out of the ring by her braid, threw her into the steel steps. Becky then threw Bianca's head into a chair, wrapped it around her neck, and dragged her by her braid throat first into the post in a really violent spot that made a lot of noise. I thought this was great. It was exactly how you build a WrestleMania feud. You know, contrasting it directly with Rousey and Flair, way more violent, way more exciting, actually got me pumped up for the match. It was a perfect way also to pay off the unintentional voice box injury, okay, that happened at a live event and continue the braid storyline while keep us interested in everything. I thought it was great. And obviously for the purposes of this segment, both parts of this were good. The match and the post-match. Yeah, this is everything that Ronda and Charlotte is not. It's got actual intensity. It's got... Uh, it's also everything that Raw is and SmackDown isn't, frankly. I I, I think you could see the two compared to how they're handling their women's championship pictures. Um, The the match, you know, we've seen it four or five times now with the same result every time. Honestly, I'm not that tired of it. Like, I'm I'm okay (laughs) with it. It's weird, yeah, I know. (laughs) I I could see Bianca and Dewdrop, like, when when Dewdrop first came out, I was like, oh, man, we're doing this again. But then you know what? They're just really, really good together. And I could, it's like a New Day Usos thing where, like, I could just see them keep going and going, and I'm okay with it. I I, I'm, I don't know if you could call it a rivalry because it's so one-sided, but I like the rivalry. And then the Becky beatdown uh, at the end was was great. The, the the point Bianca made about the the hair, it's a weapon, but also can be used against me. Was a great. That's a great babyface point. Mm-hmm. That's a great babyface work around the. Hey, she's walking around with a weapon, like, you know, and, and then. You know, we get the beat down at the end. I hope it's not a situation where Bianca's like, you know, out for two weeks, like AJ Styles or something like that. Just have her be injured and in, in fighting through it. Essentially, she should wear a neck brace so, next week. Very simple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like this was this was great. Absolutely loved it. This is yeah, this is the thing that should main event night one. It really it's should. The thing that that's got everybody into it. It re- it absolutely should main event night one. Uh, and you know, I talked about how smart the spot was, given the voice box and the whole thing. But even the way they executed it by putting the flat part of the chair up against her like face and neck. That way you knew that nothing could go wrong. Just mm-hmm. everything about this really worked for me. And you mentioned the rematch with Dewdrop. So it really stuck out to me because I think they'd done it either in back-to-back weeks or two times in the last three weeks. But before that, they hadn't done it since December. So it's just because we got it in December, like four times in five weeks or something like that, that it felt like it's happened a ton this year. And yes, December is only three and a half months away, uh, you know, before. So it did still happen a lot recently, but the roster is so thin for the women on Mm -hmm. both brands. And in a situation like this, given that they made it more exciting and better with the post-match, I was pretty fine with the way they did it. And I do like them wrestling each other. It really works. And it allows Belair to showcase her strength. There's really only other one woman on the roster right now. And that is Rhea Ripley that allows her to showcase her strength and they don't mm-hmm. want to beat Rhea. So it made sense for them to beat Dewdrop. Uh, Brian Owens at Owens 11B, he wrote in, not sure when the mailbag comes back, 
but do you think they'd ever do a hair versus hair match for Bianca and Becky? Or would that have to be a non-title <laughs> match? Just figure with as much as they keep talking about Bianca's hair, it could be something new. Uh, first of all, the mailbag is always open. So you guys can send in DMs, questions, comments at any time. A lot of times when you guys send stuff in, they're identical to things that we're already going to say on the show. So I, you know, don't, I don't read them because it just takes more time to do so. But the mailbag is always open. You can DM us, you can tweet us, questions, comments, whatever you want. Please don't forget to do that. As far as answering you, Brian, going fully hair versus hair with women as prominent as they are, that's just not something that's going to happen. I did mention a couple of weeks ago, I could see this becoming a title versus braid match. That is something they could possibly do. Another option is just that they outlaw it, that she's not allowed to use it as a weapon during the match because Becky gets her way with management. So I do think it's going to factor into this match somehow. I just don't think it's going to be a situation where shaving their heads is on the line. Honestly, I like that third option the most. I don't want title versus braid because that 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 completely gives away. Yeah, gives away what's what's happening. I, I'd rather not have something that's got so much heat right now. This story story's great. You don't need to add a stipulation to it at this point. You you could do you could do the hey you can't use the braid. Could could totally understand that. That that's a great baby face in peril type of stipulation. So, uh, but yeah, other than that, hair versus hair. Like I love the, I I love the idea of the heat that that creates, but sometimes that's almost too real for me that I'm like, I don't want this to happen to anybody. So, so, um, uh, so yeah, especially with the women, not going to happen. For for women who their hair is a large part of their looks. Like there's some women where the hair, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, but for them in particular, the braid and Bianca's entire look plus, Becky with the, you know, really bright orange hair, like that, that's them. It's mm-hmm. it's their signature. So how do you kind of take those away? You really can't. Or I mean, at some point, the braid's going to go one day, but it's too soon for it as far as I'm concerned. On Raw, uh, Edge came to the ring with new music along with the Blacklight entrance. Now, new music, I'm predisposed to hate. I think everyone is, right? But they're doing a heel gimmick. And it was a strong, real song from the same band that does Metal English. So it, and I listened to it on YouTube afterward, would like to hear it clearly. Pretty damn good song. Not like my type of music, nothing I would listen to, but for an entrance music for wrestling, it totally worked and fit with his new character. Edge said he's the benchmark of WWE better than everyone else. And he has a new mindset after allowing Randy Orton to tear his pectoral, Seth Rollins to piss on his house and Roman Reigns, who he called an Aquaman cosplayer that can't lace his boots to beat him at WrestleMania. He said the old edge is dead, soaked in heel chants and heat from the crowd. And it was just another really strong promo from Edge, better than last week by a mile. So obviously I'm saying it was good. Yeah, absolutely good. I liked the new music. It, it, it made sense. It was an actual song type of deal. It's pretty spooky. It fits well. Um, by the way, let's take a minute to just not overlook and, and appreciate the... F- that his previous song is called Metalingus. I know, right? Like, <laughs> uh, just don't want, just never want to lose sight of that. Um, it, but part of me was like, I don't want this at Mania. I want the big edge music for Mania. Like, I'm going to be there. Like, maybe he start. maybe it's like the Brew thing where he starts out walking with the song. Okay. But then he hits, but then we get the, the big edge music. Cause like, it's mania. Like we want, I, I know he's a heel, but like we want to cheer. We want the big edge entrance experience. Uh, I don't, I've never, no, that's not true. I got one of I, money in the bank. I saw it, but like, I, I hope we still get the regular edge entrance because that's big. 
I don't think you're getting it. Sorry. (laughs) I don't think we are too. The edge promo was great. And like he, he's out there doing anytime he's in a feud, he's pretty much cutting a promo every week. What? Like, why can't we get Roman to do that? Like, like he's, he's, this is such a masterclass of doing this. What, why do we need Roman or Brock not on the show sometimes? Like just surely you can have them cut promos like this week to week of just doing something. Um, he, he's been doing a tremendous job with this. Um, I thought AJ was going to come out, surprise him, attack him, whatever. Like I said before, don't love the idea that AJ's tweeting that he's going to be there at raw next week. Fine. Okay, sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, cause th- this is, edge has done a good job, but like we're missing AJ now. Like we've only got a couple of raws left. We got to get the baby. We got to get the baby face heat on, on AJ. Now we got, we got to really be in AJ's corner. First of all, so I'm curious, I, I have to see what happens next week. It is yeah. perfectly fine that AJ Styles is not there. He took two concertos. You're supposed to well, sell no, it. I'm, it's the opposite yes. of what in AEW K-Fabe, did with yes. Adam Cole. No, no, no. In you know? K-Fabe, yes. No, in K-Fabe, yes. But this is why I said two weeks ago that I didn't like opening with a concerto because I because I wanted I want AJ's side of this. We've had like three weeks now where we still haven't gotten that. So but you're going to get it. We have, two, we have two weeks left now. So you're going to get I'm, it. I'm saying yeah. there's just there's a lot of work to be done here in these next two weeks. Not that they can't do it, but just. I, I, I'm trying to stay consistent where I didn't like opening with a concerto with a double concerto. And as a result, we don't get AJ for a few weeks leading into mania. That that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's always, you know, beneficial to have all your people there. Uh, but again, you know, it's they, just so weird. To, it's so weird to, to not have Roman and Brock on shows, to not have AJ on shows. We're just, we're, this is the, this is the spot where you want people watching your shows and we're just not having, the, we, we don't have Stone Cold on and he's going to be there. Like so many key players uh, around WrestleMania, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Johnny Knoxville, Roman Reigns, Brock, AJ Styles, like we're not getting them on every show and it's so weird. Hey, credit to Logan Paul for showing up every week. Yes, absolutely. You know, he is there. <laughs> like, I gotta give him credit for that, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, Intercontinental Championship. This was a rematch. Ricochet against Sami Zayn. Johnny Knoxville commissioned a plane to fly Sami's phone number across Los Angeles. Uh, Zane was infuriated and said he's done no preparation for his match because people have been calling him. That was really the only build for this. But I will say, Sammy has been selling the hell out of this on social media. And yes, I think what they gave, I don't know that it was, of course, his phone number, but it was certainly a, a phone number of a phone that he has because people continuously are calling him, texting him, leaving him voicemails. Like he's shown videos of it. So I always think that's pretty cool. It's very college football, right? Uh, They did that to Tim Tebow. LSU fans did it to him. And I always think back to stuff like that, you know, and it's cool that they're doing it for wrestling because that's not something that I can remember being done before. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm interested in, uh, I I really am interested in Sami Zayn versus Johnny Knoxville. Like not as a match, but like as a concept in in large part because of how Sami is really, you know, selling it. Yeah. So uh, that was the build, which again, wasn't much build. Austin Theory came out before the bell. He slapped McAfee again. Pat attacked and dominated him. Michael Cole pushed him off. And then McAfee left the ringside area. And I didn't know why. Like, I don't know why he left. Uh, it didn't make a shred of sense to me. But yeah, he got, just, just, he's just, he's got he's to remove himself from the situation, calm down and, and deal with that. I guess, but the show's ongoing. I mean, it's, I don't know. Uh, so Zayn hit a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. Then he hit a huge top rope superplex. Uh, Ricochet came back with recoil and the 630 for a clean win in 12 minutes. I appreciated the definitiveness of the win because this guy's a new champion and he was able to retain the title clean over the former champion, even though I hated the fact that it was a rematch. 
And it wasn't particularly strong despite it getting a decent bit of time. But it didn't make sense to me why they would even do this match in the first place. Why are you having Sammy lose clean when he has a WrestleMania feud with a celebrity coming up? He should be perfect. On, you know, he lost, lost the title. That was a good decision. But now he should win matches every week on the way to WrestleMania. He should be strong going into it. I'll say good, mostly because this segment was probably the best thing on SmackDown. We got a 12-minute match with two people who can wrestle. But as I just noted, it had significant problems on its own. Well, you're looking at completely from the Sami Zayn side and not from the your Intercontinental Champion just beat Sami Zayn clean. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think there's an aspect to that too that matters. Although we don't know what Ricochet is doing for Mania. He's probably going to have something on SmackDown before and not on actual Mania, which is a real shame. Um, so, I like I I, I kind of get it. Um, I, I I was fine with with the way that played out. The McAfee stuff was interesting. Like again, like. Everything McAfee does, he does with 100% effort and energy. And this did not feel like some celebrity just doing something and it being kind of awkward. No, like he was all in on this. This had the second most views on YouTube from SmackDown. A mil- it's got a million views. Uh, so that's the type of thing having Pat McAfee on your show, on your card, uh, does. And, and and so that worked. I, I give this a, I give this all a, a light good. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I did see someone on Twitter suggest this, and it's a great idea. I wanted to run it by you, although I don't know who the hell would be in the match. But they should really do a Razor Ramon Memorial Ladder match for the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania. Yes. And and it's the perfect opportunity to bring back the Razor Ramon era Intercontinental Championship. It is. I mean, man. So that is my number one favorite IC title of all time. I just want to be clear. Of course. A lot of people love it with the white strap. And I know Shawn Michaels had it, Jeff Jarrett wore it, I think, with that. But for Cody me, the did black too. strap. Cody brought it back. Oh, Cody brought it back. That's true, he did. Yeah. Um, and Miz wore it as well. Um, but the black strap, the one that Razor Ramon had, that was my favorite IC title of all time. Yes, black stripes to me always look best. I, I think it looked great. It looked like a heavyweight. It is, it's technically the Intercontinental, Intercontinental heavyweight, heavyweight Championship. Yeah. Championship. So, yeah, I mean, again, yeah, like, this is a great opportunity. I mean, they've done intercontinental ladder matches before. It'd be, it'd be a way to get a lot of guys in it. Ricochet can do some cool flippy stuff. And it's a great way to phase out that icy belt that everybody <laughs> hates so much. So terrible. Here's, here's your out if you want it. I mean, look, take Madcap Moss, take Happy Corbin and Drew McIntyre, forget the singles match, add one other person. And do a ladder match for the IC title. Like, it's not even a great booking. It really isn't. But just do it. Like, like, mm-hmm. like put an exciting match on this freaking show. You know what I mean? They should do yeah. it. Uh, I don't know that they will. Um, and I and really, there's no one. There's, there's like no one on SmackDown to challenge Ricochet for the title right now. But maybe they can figure it out. And I hope they do. And I hope they put it on, on WrestleMania. I do hope it's a ladder match. Put, um, put, put Reggie in that match. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, Reggie can. Yeah, put that. Reggie in a ladder match. That could be fun. Um, over on Raw, we'll talk about the other side of this coin, the United States Championship. So we had Finn Balor, the new champion, by the way. He's had the title for a couple of weeks. Against Damian Priest, the former champion, in a non-title match. So Sammy got a rematch for the title. Damian Priest got a rematch not for the title. Austin Theory came down before the bell, even though he has nothing to do with this feud at all. Uh, but he was involved last week, too. 
And Priest hit Balor with the razor's edge into the announce table, like a minute into the match. And I'm, I just quickly want to stop here. I love the move. It looks awesome. He was doing it, of course, before Scott Hall died. Um, and Scott Hall is his idol. So I'm, I love that Priest does it. Everything. The announce tables are too strong these days. Yeah. There's no way. This. There's no way that someone should take a razor's edge into it and land the way he did and not have it collapse. This happened like two weeks ago or something like that. Or a week yeah. ago, there was someone, they, they put like two or three people into a table to try to break and it didn't break. It's too strong. Something's up with the table. Yeah, something, I think they're doing it on purpose and I don't like it. Don't like it one bit. Uh, Theory distracted Balor as he was getting ready to take out Priest. Balor stopped fighting and hit Theory with a shotgun dropkick outside. Then he came back inside and Priest hit, caught him, hit him with the reckoning for the clean win over the champion. This whole booking just annoyed the shit out of me. Balor just won the title two weeks ago, and they're already having Priest beat him after killing him last week. And this is with Theory getting up on Balor twice after the bell and after the beatdown and taking, you know, selfies with him when he has nothing to do with this feud and he's not going to be in a United States championship match. Like, I don't get it. I, I get that they're going to do a rematch, but there's other ways than having the now challenger beat the champion and just force a third match. And again, they have theory going over the new champion. It's not in the ring one, two, three, but he's still getting up on him on television. Balor's your brand new champion. Theory's in a match with Pat McAfee. Why the hell is WWE booking this this way? The work was fine, but this was bad booking, and, and that's what this was. It was bad. My assumption is that they're just they're gonna beat down Balor, so then he'll come out at Mania as the demon, and that'll be the thing that gets him back, you know, over the top. Um, so like I understand that concept, but the execution of like losing to Priest again, you know, are they are they booked for a mania match to them? I assume that's what it happened, is not right? booked for the show. Well, uh, assuming we're going to get that, it would be weird to kind of have it three times within a month. But right. That's another uh, reason. Yeah. So I, I don't like I get where they're going. I just don't know where I or I guess where I think they're going. But the execution to get there's kind of been eh, I'm, I'm, I was giving this one a bad. Just checking right now to double check really is the right word. Um, this is not booked for WrestleMania at this time. So okay. it's going to be, it's very clearly going to be. And I think you're right. They want to do the demon entrance at WrestleMania. All that makes sense. There's better ways to do it. Do, do the post-match attacks, beat them down outside backstage in the parking lot, in the loading dock, whatever. There's other ways to do it than just having Priest win clean, semi-clean over the champion. Right that just beat him for the title a couple of weeks ago. Right. And by the way, again, if you're doing all this and you're going to have the match at Mania, why did you have Balor win the title before Mania? <laughs> why wouldn't also, you have him win it at Mania? So, Well, oh. it, it, it has, it, Balor winning has gotten Damian Priest into a better spot where we like him more now. So at least we've gotten that. Yes, Priest has improved massively since losing the title. That is true. We had an RK Bro championship celebration on Raw. They were excited for Mania. Randy Orton put Riddle over huge as his friend. They hugged. Riddle said it's the greatest night of his career. Orton had gifts for him. And the last gift was a little green baggie that Orton said was, you know, special. Uh, they didn't get to open it, of course. He, uh, so he, searched, were, far, he searched high and far. For high, high, and, yeah, high, and, high and low yeah. or far, whatever he said. Uh, the Street Profits uh, came out and reminded that they beat them and challenged them for WrestleMania. Randy said RK Bro had to jump through a ton of hoops to get their rematch, so he denied the challenge. Montez Ford said they weren't asking as Angelo Dawkins gave him the death stare. And in that moment, if you remember, like a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, there was a one-night thing where it looked like the Street Profits were turning heel. 
And I was really excited about that. And I thought that was what was going to happen here. Technically, it didn't. Uh, so like I said, Dawkins gave them the death stare. Orton said, no one tells him what to do, not even Vince McMahon. And he started getting angry. Riddle tried to calm both sides down, saying the Prophets did have a legitimate case for a title match, and they, RK-Bro, does need an opponent for WrestleMania. Orton took the challenge. Ford said the celebration, the party was ass, and Riddle got offended. Orton then cut off Dawkins trying to do his catchphrase so Orton could do his catchphrase to end the segment. Overall, it was, I guess, good. It, it was a decent enough setup for a title match, but given Orton talked about jumping through hoops, it really seemed like they should just do a number one contender match or something or a mini gauntlet instead of just giving them the match. Yeah, but I, I like this. I, I was giving this a good because it felt like there was some real competitive animosity between the two of them and kind of whether or not they deserved it. And to get that on a face versus face, WWE does not do it that way very much. So I was really into this at the point, actually at the beginning with, with the celebration, a small thing, I was looking at the ring and I'm like, this is very poorly set up. And then Randy says, you know, I'm not as good at planning a party as you are. Mm -hmm. I was like, awesome. That was great. It was, it was like a little thing that added a ton to the Randy uh, Riddle relationship that like he cared enough to do this, but clearly doesn't know the best way to do it. It was like, a, it was like a little thing. I really appreciated that. Um, and then, and yeah, like I, I like this, you know, as it was coming out, I was like, I was like, all right, like these guys kind of have some heat going between each other. They're both faces. They just want to see who's better. I'm kind of into that, but I'm kind of upset that a certain tag team is not involved in this. Me too. I'm thinking, man, you know, we got that great triple threat. And how do they go from being a pretty decent tag team, Alpha Academy, to not being in this match? This sucks. And by the way, we just got Street Profits versus RK Bro at day one. That's when RK Bro won the titles. So I'm not thrilled about this either, right? So, but, but I think it's a good segment, so I'm with you. Then we get into a match, Riddle versus Montez Ford. And no surprise, they were great together in the ring, of course. Riddle hit Orton's power slam and got a standing ovation from Randy. He jumped on the ring apron. It was pretty cool to see that. Then he hit the draping DDT and countered Ford into the RKO. He wasn't able to make a cover. And at that moment, Alpha Academy ran down to destroy all four guys individually. And they absolutely flattened Montez Ford with all their finishers in the ring. So did it end in a DQ after nine minutes? Yes. Do I love that? No. You know, I don't like DQs. We both wanted Alpha Academy in this match. And that's what we got. I'm very excited that we're going to get this as a triple threat. It's a great WrestleMania booking. And this match, it would have been good with Profits and RK-Bro. Now it has a chance with the addition of Chad Gable and certainly Otis as well to be an absolute banger. So it's very rare that the Silver King is going to give a DQ segment a good, but that's exactly what's happening here. I, I got to say to, to WWE for, for putting Alpha Academy in this match and booking this match, all I have to say is, oh, thank you. It was great. I, I was so, I popped when they came out. I was like, yes. I like they're the bad guys. You're mm -hmm. not supposed to want them. But I was like, yes, we're going to get Gable Otis at Mania. Those guys have been killing it. They deserve it. We're getting a lot of triple threat tags, uh, or I guess this will be two now at least uh, on the Mania card, but I'm fine with this. This is what I want. Uh, all, all on board of it. Yeah, the women's one, I guess, is what you're, is what you're saying. So, Because yeah. the men's match for SmackDown, which we're going to talk about right now, seems to be two on two. Uh, but I do have a 
Uh, another DM slide here from Sammy Redden at 5050 miles east. He goes, how many times do you think Randy will end up in the WWE Hall of Fame? Solo, probably evolution, anything else? I think that's it. Uh, you know, solo is a no-brainer. Has to go in solo first. You know, makes the yes. most sense in the world. Evolution, great, you know, uh, faction stable. Great reason to be able to bring back Batista and get him to show up to a WrestleMania weekend Hall of Fame ceremony. Obviously, the complication there is Ric Flair and what they do with him. You know, as with most things in WWE, time seems to heal all wounds or maybe it doesn't heal the wounds, but it WWE thinks it does and it allows people to come back. So I could certainly see somewhere down the line um, all of them getting inducted with Flair, the whole deal. Um, but that's and, and it. Hopefully, and hopefully while Flair is still alive. And hopefully while he's still alive, yeah. Uh, but that's it. I don't think there's any other scenario. Like, I don't think RK-Bro is a Hall of Fame tag team. I mean, if they extend it, if they, if, they, if they allow this to go on for another year, then I think it certainly could get in there and probably would eventually. But I think that's it for Randy Orton. Like, yeah, like rated RKO is not going in. Legacy's not going in. Legacy's uh, not going in. Rated RKO, yeah, I, maybe. I don't think the authority is going in. <laughs> yeah. No, the authority's not going in. I'm, I'm trying to think of the other things that. Uh, what, what was it? Um, I mean, Legacy. So, so Legacy could potentially go. This is how Legacy goes in. Okay. If Cody Rhodes is actually back, right? Well, yeah. And they reform Legacy as like a co leader deal. And bring in like Braun Breaker and bring sure. in like another, you know, son of a former superstar. And they kind of reform it into a version 2.0. Then combined with the first one, you could kind of get it in together. But if it's if yeah, they're not going to do that, which I really don't think WWE is going to do, then I don't think Legacy gets in. And rated RKO, I mean, there's a case, I guess. But you have so many other ways you can get edge in. I don't know why they would do it. Weird, like weirdly, like the brood. It was such a short. It honestly was not that long of a thing. But I would put the brood in ahead of rated RKO. Absolutely, not even a question. Good question. Yeah, it was a good question actually. And uh, last thing I'll say before we move on, I forgot to mention this during the edge segment that we were talking about a moment ago. Um, did you not get some kind of? Alistair Black, Malachi Black vibes from that whole thing. Because to me, it was like, man, this is what they could have done with Alistair Black. And had, you know, like it would have worked. And the, I don't know. Did you, did you get those vibes or was that only me that had those? Uh, yeah, kind of. Honestly, I think, I, honestly, I like more what they're doing with Edge and the way AEW's handling with Malachi Black. If you put that Malachi Black into what they're doing with Edge, oh yeah. That'd, that'd be that'd be well. Sick. I think the Malachi Black thing is for WWE. It's too far, just like the look and kind of. Well, I just I, yeah, but I mean, like if you'd put Malachi Black under that blue light, you know, and in, in kind of the way he dresses, whatever way you want to do it, I well, think it'd be. But that's kind of how he came back with the smoke and and the look. I mean, that, that's kind of what that that one time that one night return in the main yeah. event where he attacked Big E. That's kind of what they were doing with him. It's not exactly the same. But I, that's that's the vibes I got. that They were going to go in a similar type of direction. But whatever, alas, it's not happening. And he is in AEW. Let's keep going. We got a couple more things we need to get out of here. The Usos on SmackDown hit the ring. And it was promoted as them unlocking their penitentiary. Whatever the hell 
that meant. I'm just glad they didn't come back with that on-screen ridiculous graphic that they did that one time. Uh, Jay said they have no worthy opponent for WrestleMania. Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs immediately answered, saying they were the next champions. Boogs limped to the ring with his right leg wrapped. Jimmy said a win over Jay would give them the title match at WrestleMania. And I sat on my catch couch, dumbfounded, that Nakamura wouldn't be the one wrestling in this match. So we got Jay Uso versus Rick Boogs. Boogs unwrapped his knee, hit a double pump vertical suplex, then pressed Jay 10 times without slamming him. He just put him down. Boogs then hit a pump handle power slam, his finisher, to beat Jay Uso. You know, the guy who main evented a ton of shows last year and nearly beat Roman Reigns. They in literally two, called him main event. In two minutes to clinch a title match. They didn't even have him fight Jimmy. He could have fought and beat Jay in 10 minutes. Something happens. Shinsuke Nakamura interferes. Whatever the case, he beat Jay Uso. Main event Jay Uso in two minutes. Jimmy then hit Boogs over the head with a guitar and that ended the segment. I just sat watching this in total disbelief. It was garbage. They had Boogs squash Jay, who had been built into this upper mid-carter. Again, one more time, folks, in two fucking minutes, three weeks out from Mania to determine a title match. In what world does that make a shred of sense? It should have been Nakamura versus Jey Uso for 10 to 12 minutes. Nakamura wins. They get the title match. This was the laziest, most nonsensical booking they could have possibly conceived for this match. It was a total failure in every way, obviously in ugly, but not just that. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. So I, I disagree on a few things. Um, I... So when this happened and Boogs pinned him, that was another moment when I laughed and was like, oh man, SmackDown's really putting on this kind of show, aren't they? <laughs> really doing this. And, but it was because for the two minutes that we got, I liked it. Like I was like, I was getting into it. I thought Boogs was doing some cool things. I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm interested in Boogs as a wrestler right now. This could be something. And then boom, it's over. I was like, wait, what? That, that, that's where it got me. I was actually into it for what it was at, at the time. And the re I mean, the reason it was Boogs was because he was fake injured. The, the Usos agreed to the match. So have him fight Jimmy. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm saying that's why it was a Nakamura. They, they explained it. I, I, I was, I was like, I, I, I liked the idea that they had, but it was, yeah, it was weird to do it, to do Jay in, in two minutes for a match. I thought could have been, Pretty good if they kept it going. I was I was really interested in Boogs, and then it's just boom, it's over. It's like, oh, okay. I'm giving I'm just giving it a bad, but I really think there was a lot of potential here that they just completely decided to skip. The whole thing. I mean, a two minute twenty five match it, on yeah, its no, own. Is, the, exactly. On its own is bad to determine a, a champion uh, to determine a title match at WrestleMania is bad to do it over Jey Uso without like an interference or like a crazy mm -hmm. type of finish is bad. I mean, bad, bad, bad. When you add three bads, you get ugly. It's as simple as that. I don't know how it could be anything but that. I have to disagree with you. Um, let's keep going now. The Mysterios fought the Hurt Business. The Miz and Logan Paul came down before the bell. Cedric Alexander got hurricaneed into Shelton Benjamin. The Mysterios had a double 619 with Dominic adding the frog splash for the win in three minutes. Miz and Paul attacked after the bell. Ray escaped the skull-crushing finale. 
and Logan got stuck with them two on one. They chopped him down, but Miz saved him from a double 619. If this was a non-celebrity feud, I'd give it a bad. But the goal here is to advance the Mania match and the Hurt Business wasn't really a factor. I'll actually say good because Paul got involved. He acted well. Like the whole thing in terms of building towards Mania, it did technically do that. But again, there's no reason you cannot have the exact same finish in a match that goes seven minutes where you actually get some wrestling. So it's good, but it's barely, I mean, it's on the bridge. Yeah, that's where I'm at. It's a little, it's different than the Usos, you know, Boogs thing because that was a match that determined something at WrestleMania. That's that wasn't the case here. The the Herpinses did not matter in this match. It was about the post match beatdown fight, whatever. I don't hate just getting to that. And again, for for all the people who are not at these shows week to week, Logan Paul continuing to be there is counts for something as much as yeah. we don't like him, which is the point. Um, so I'm right on that good, bad, right in between. It's just kind of ambivalent about it. Um, I, I guess I'll lean good because it didn't didn't take up too much time that I was frustrated. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move to the women for a little bit. Sasha Banks and Naomi fought Natalia and Shayna Baszler. I guess the story here, even though I don't think they told it on screen, unless I was so angry with the show that I missed the story, which is possible. But I think the story is Natalia's trying to find a partner she wants to get into this match. So Shayna Baszler was her partner. Banks took out Natalia with Hurricane Rana and kind of bothered the champions who were at ringside, Queen Zelina and Carmella. Zelina distracted and Natalia hit a clothesline for a near fall. Sasha ran Natalia into the Zelina and hit a basement code breaker for the clean one, two, three, in three minutes and 30 seconds. This whole thing was just pathetic before you even consider the time. Nothing was accomplished here. It was just a total incomplete waste. Bad. Yeah, it, it, it's a bad. It's, it's you know, the whole women's tag situation is frustrating because it's clear they're just trying to get women on the card in different ways. And Sasha and Naomi, we like them together. We Obviously, we wanted Sasha Bailey, so it was kind of that just kind of expectation thing. There's nothing really going on here at the moment. It's just like you said, it's just kind of incomplete. Whatever. I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll give it a bad, but like not like a harsh bad. Yeah, not that harsh, but not good. Uh, Liv Morgan and Queen Zelina fought on Raw. Zelina told Mella before the match that she's getting too distracted with her reality show and her engagement, and it would cost them the titles. Uh, Zelina immediately put Morgan into two submissions after the bell, but she escaped. Liv hit a sunset flip slam and a pinning combination for a near fall. Then she rolled Zelina around the ring twice. I mean, more than twice, like a, a dozen times. But while in that position, they kept rolling, uh, which made Zelina dizzy. And Liv got two more near, near falls. Pretty inventive, cool stuff. Carmella jumped on the ring apron to distract Morgan. Zelina hit a powerbomb. Rhea Ripley stalked Mella outside. Mella jumped into Corey Graves' arms. And Liv caught Zelina with oblivion for the win in three minutes. What sucked here was... Both of the women, Liv and Zelina, actually flashed in the match. Like, mm -hmm. it looked like it was going to be a good, fun, entertaining match, and it was on its way to being that. Instead, it ends in three minutes. But if it had gone six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes, then I would have felt like, wow, they really give us gave us something new and different here. Instead, it was worthless, normal bullshit. So I'm going to say bad, but it could have been good. And that's even more frustrating is that it looked like they were onto something 
and it still fell short. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I was with the, the Boogs Jey Uso thing, which you didn't like, but like the idea that like, hey, there was like actually kind of something going on here that was interesting, but now nah, we're not going to give you that much of it because it doesn't matter. And, and, and that's frustrating. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to give it a light good for the work involved. But again, I just, yeah, I would have liked a bit more. We had Drew McIntyre and the Viking Raiders against the happy folks oh, in Jinder Mahal. The happy folks took out the Raiders backstage. McIntyre got attacked. <laughs> you, you, you have never been so distraught to have to describe a match right now. Uh, match? There was no match. McIntyre <laughs> yeah. got attacked on Second. the entrance ramp four on one. Then he fought out of the quadruple team, hitting Shanky <laughs> with a Mishunoku driver and clearing the ring with Corbin running away. Then he pointed the sword at the WrestleMania sign. That was it. This was a total, complete waste of time. And it was not even the least bit entertaining. Zero point zero. Point zero! It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. And if you can't tell the result of all that when you add it together, it's straight up ugly. Dude, this is Drew McIntyre, the guy who opened your last WrestleMania as the WWE champion, who main evented the previous WrestleMania and won his WWE championship. What in God's name are you doing with this guy? I heard some people who went to the New York City, the MSG show, and said that the reaction for him was not that big. Like, they have really knocked him down several pegs for the insane idea to push this happy Corbin thing so far. Like, what the hell, man? Like, this dude is, this is a face of your company type guy. He's in all the commercials. How is this the best thing you have for him at WrestleMania? Like, just good Lord, man. I just, an absolute disaster of a segment an absolute ugly the guy won the championship at wrestlemania two years ago in what would have been if it was in front of fans an incredible moment it would have been okay because mm-hmm. people were mm-hmm. all he, he was, was so hot in that brock mm-hmm. lesnar feud and then last year they didn't put him over bobby lashley which was strange at the time but they wanted to build up lashley as champion and you know what they're allowed to do that if they want right and they did a good job building up lashley as champion and they still had a good match. And he still had a great ovation. And now, two years after he was supposed to win the title in front of fans, he's fighting Happy Corbin in a no-stipulation, boring-ass match where, as part of the build, and no offense to the Viking Raiders, you know, they're really they're a talented tag team, but they're utilizing the Viking Raiders, Madcap Moss, Jinder Mahal, and Shanky to help propel the storyline to WrestleMania. I mean, this is this is a paradigm of everything that's wrong with SmackDown. Like, if you had to pick one thing mm-hmm. to show you that they're creatively bankrupt, it's this. Mm-hmm. How, how can you not think of there, there's no there's like there's nobody else on the roster for him to work with for one, which is what would have made him a great Roman. You know, like just like how do you not just find someone on this roster and be like, hey, hot, let's do Drew McIntyre versus, I don't know, like Biggie or something. Obviously How about like- Drew McIntyre versus Omos? You know I don't even like Omos, sure, right? Sure, But think about that. 
Think about them across from each other. What it would look like for Drew McIntyre in the Hulk Hogan role, potentially, to take out Omos in the Andre the Giant role. Again, it's not exactly the same. And, you know, he's not Hogan and Omos is certainly not Andre the Giant. I can't even believe I put them in the same sentence. But imagine at least booking that and saying, having Drew say, you know what, if I can't fight for the title this year, I need to topple the, topple the biggest, baddest guy in WWE. And Omos comes out, that's me, shoves him out of the ring. And now you have this great feud. Like, wouldn't that at least make you say, man, I want to see if he can power slam him mm-hmm. or body slam him. Yeah, yeah. Something, something to look forward to. What are we looking forward to here? This, this isn't like a kid-friendly segment. I don't understand what the point of this is. What are they trying to accomplish? The point is to make Who us is mad. it helping? The point is to make me mad as everything that's, <laughs> that, that happens does. That's, that's the point. What a mess. All right, last thing. Speaking of Omas, we yes. had Omas against Commander Aziz uh, in a singles match. I was just happy that this didn't happen at Mania. I thought they were going to somehow try to force this onto Mania. They, no, they weren't. I, dude, I don't know. You, you don't know. That's the problem, right? Like anything's possible. They tumbled over the top rope. Aziz got some offense. Then Omas hit him with a huge suplex. Aziz didn't get a good jump. And Omas literally had to like power him up into the air. And Aziz is no small dude. So it was really, (laughs) it was incredibly impressive that he was able to do it. And then he slammed him kind of like Falcon Arrow, Mishinoku driver style without doing the seated part of it. Yeah, Uh, that's his finisher. He's been doing that. No, he does the power. He does the press power slam. Or no, he does the, uh, he does the double choke slam as his finisher. Yeah, that's what he did, isn't it? I'm I'm before that. I'm when he when he lifted oh, him okay. into what I thought was the vertical suplex. He turned him around and slammed him between his legs, except yes. he sit down. That's what I was talking about. Yes. Um, then he won with the lifted choke slam in two minutes. He grabbed Apollo Cruz by his bald head at ringside, lifted him straight up into the ring, and hit another uh, the double choke slam deal to stand tall. I'm not sure what's happening here. Okay, I don't know if WWE is setting something up for Omos at WrestleMania or setting someone up to beat him and look impressive on an upcoming Raw. I've hated the last few weeks, but Chris, Omas and Aziz going at it, I'm going to give it a good because it could hey. have been it could have been terrible. And I still think Omas is dead in the water, and I don't think that this is going to work. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. But if you're going to have a three-minute match, you know what, Chris? You might as well have a couple big, meaty men slapping meat. And for three Thank minutes on Raw, we got big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> there was a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And for three minutes, I was sports entertained. So yes, this was a good. I still don't believe in Omas. I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> I was I was going to be very upset if we didn't get a big meaty men drop uh, in that uh, description there. So yeah, th- this. This was the kind of thing where you see Omas do some things and you're like, man, like he could be something if they figure it out. And they obviously have not. But there are moments you see like lifting Commander Aziz up pretty much by his own strength for that suplex. And you're like, man, this is a different kind of dude who can do things nobody else can do. How can we make that work? They have not made it work so far. But yes, I'm giving this a good for what it was. We don't need to go super long in it or anything. But it was nice to see Omos really shine and look impressive as opposed to some of the other squashes. They got to figure out the right way to handle him because I I still don't think he works as a solo act. Um, Find him a manager or something. I don't know. But he has 
something. You just you got to figure out how to tap into it. And at least on this match, this segment, whatever, this bit with Commander Aziz, they were able to do something. And it was good. Okay, and last and certainly least, there was another new Veer Mahan vignette. <laughs> this time he broke open a gate. They did something weird where his eyes were crossed. Like, I don't know if that was intentional or just the way he did the vignette, whatever. Uh, I think he's going to debut on the Raw after WrestleMania at this point. Like, I think he's going to debut and then someone else is going to debut or return or something and squash him. That That's my guess in terms of the way Veer makes his return to WWE. How about this? How about uh, Seth Rollins announces that he has a match, but the, the opponent is a secret. Veer comes out. He, he's lying. We're all expecting Cody, crowd chant Cody, and then we get Veer at Mania. And then does Cody Crowd's beat gonna, his ass and then do it? Crowd's going to go wild. No, it's, it's, it's Veer. only Veer. That's Veer's it, debut. That's, all, Veer. that's Veer's debut. So they, yeah, would, I, in that case, would WWE have veered us at WrestleMania? Yes. It's a veer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead of a swerve, they, they veered us. A severe um, veer. Yeah. So, yeah, whatever. I, don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you yeah. can't have a comment about this. It's not good. It's credit, not credit, for cha- credit for changing it up, you know, is what it is. Yeah. They definitely have shot a few different ones, you know, so clearly they're doing this on, on purpose. It's not just WWE being WWE, but again, we don't know what's going to happen with veer. Anyway, look, that is this week's edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Man, what a show. You know, both from a, I mean, there really wasn't that much great today, but what a show in terms of topics to talk about. Certainly the biggest among them, the death of Scott Hall. Again, rest in peace to the bad guy. Uh, Biggie, we hope you recover soon, man. You know, not just because you seem to be a great person. Every time I've talked to you, it's been entertaining as all hell. Clearly you're beloved, Um, but we want you to get healthy and we'd love to see you back in the ring. I hope that's possible. And look, the road to WrestleMania is winding down. We have two more Raws, three more SmackDowns. Our ultimate preview is coming two weeks from today. Uh, In terms of scheduling, you know, we're going to wait. One thing I will tell you, so I know I delivered with the Swerve interview, hopefully. I hope hope you guys, uh, you know, bought into the hype there and listened to it because I thought it was great. And, you know, a lot of people have sourced the interview, uh, some naming us properly, others who I won't name on this show because they don't deserve the publicity not giving us the proper credit, but you know, that shit happens. Uh, what I will tell you is I made the pitch for the WWE interviews that I planned. I wanted one per week heading into WrestleMania. And I was told that basically they're not doing them to the degree in which we would get the interviews that I wanted. So it does not look like we will have a lot of WWE interviews over the next two weeks as planned. However, I do hope that we get a couple the week of WrestleMania to kind of lead into that show. WrestleMania week schedule, we will talk about Uh, On that Ultimate Preview show in two weeks, we're still a little bit too far out. There will probably be a go-home episode on that Friday after the final go-home SmackDown. Uh, In terms of WrestleMania, night one, night two, do we do two separate shows? Do we do them together? Last year, we did them together, Chris, if memory serves. This year, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be on the road, uh, so maybe we'll do two. Well, I'm going to be there, so I will have to be driving back from the Yeah, we're going to have to figure that out from a technical standpoint and a timing standpoint yeah. with you. But given that it's two nights, I think I don't think they're going to end too late. So in theory, we should be able to do what we did. What was the other show? Money in the Bank? Did we do that with you in the car? Yeah, I was in the car. Okay, that one seemed to work well enough. So maybe that will be the plan. But the point is, the schedule right now for getting over is up in the air. What I can promise you is we will be back Thursday this week with our latest AEW 
and NXT episode. Uh, NXT Roadblock last week, very entertaining. They are still building towards Stand and Deliver. And AEW is just getting started with all of its new storylines uh, leading into its next pay-per-view, which I believe is Double or Nothing. And they had that special St. Patrick's Day episode with some big stuff on the card this Wednesday. So be back Thursday for the AEW NXT episode. A reminder before we get out of here that getting over is always... So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave that five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. The reviews are very, very important to us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That is it for today's episode. Thank you all for joining us. As always, Chris, thanks to you for joining as well. With all of that said, it is time for the Silver King to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.